This podcast is a production of Unfiltered Studios. If you would like to know more about joining Unfiltered Studios, please visit our website at unfpod.com for more information. American presidential elections have taken some wild turns over the past two decades. Think about it. The 2000 race brought the chaos of hanging chads in Florida before a 5-4 Supreme Court decision gave the victory to George W. Bush who took the Electoral College in a slim 271 to 266 triumph while Al Gore had the consolation prize of winning the popular vote by half a million countrywide. The 2004 election presented a paradox. While George W. Bush's presidency was clearly losing steam, his opponent, John Kerry, failed to present a sufficiently compelling alternative vision. Despite dissatisfaction with policies like the Iraq War and deficit-busting tax cuts, Bush maintained credibility on handling our fears of terrorism, allowing him to overcome poor approval ratings and win re-election, even though most Americans, when asked, felt the country was on the wrong track. In 2008, Barack Obama capitalized on three key factors, widespread dissatisfaction with the Bush administration policies in Iraq and the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression. But it was mostly that third factor that helped Obama to the victory by using his ability to present himself as a contrasting outsider compared to longtime Senator John McCain and focusing on hope and change, which drove strong turnout among key demographics like youth, minorities, and urban voters, something he would capitalize again on in 2012 in his victory over Mitt Romney. In 2016, Donald Trump's smash-mouth populism shook up politics as usual. And then in 2020, Trump's refusal to accept defeat led to the January 6th Capitol insurrection. Now in 2024, the stage is set for another pivotal and potential tumultuous election, with Joe Biden's presidency on seemingly shaken ground despite a strong economy and getting a handle on inflation. Donald Trump, not so quietly, sits in the background waiting, hoping for some kind of electoral college revenge. And who knows what dark horse candidates might be waiting in the wings. Unpredictability reigns in this scenario. The keys to victory remain swing states, party divisions, voter priorities, and things we cannot forecast. In this episode, we'll dive into the 2024 landscape with seasoned pollster Doug Kaplan. Doug brings an informed insider's perspective to reading the energy of the electorate and trying to peer into that 2024 crystal ball. By going beyond the headlines with a numbers-focused, nonpartisan view, We'll explore what historical trends and emerging dynamics mean for campaigns in the social media era. Join us here as we deliver an apolitical examination of what could be next in this hotly contested race. But find out for yourself in an episode I'm calling, What in the 2024 Election? A Nonpartisan Guide with pollster Doug Kaplan. Not 
Today, I get to welcome Doug Kaplan, CEO of Kaplan Strategies, a distinguished firm in public relations and political consulting. With over 10 years of experience, Doug has pioneered innovative campaign solutions and proprietary polling systems, advancing marketing research, political polling, advertising, and digital marketing. Doug's expertise benefits a wide array of clients, including political, nonprofit, and commercial sectors. With a focus on crafting powerful strategic messaging, Kaplan Strategies is known for its media dissemination, ensuring messages have maximum impact. Doug, thank you so much for coming on today. Well, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, this is one I had circled because I don't get to talk to people too much who are right in the thick of things like you are. You know, everybody seems to have an opinion. Yeah. But we're on the sidelines. You're actually in the game. Yeah, it's an interesting time. I'm sure. Uh, well, you've had Kaplan Strategies for 10 years. So that means you've probably been doing this longer. Kaplan Strategies for about three years. Before that, I was president of another company, Gravis, which basically similar deal, you know, similar um, similar concept. We have polling and all that there. So for 13 years, I've been doing it. Polling for 10. I'm sure in the last... 10 years, especially after 2016, polling has uh, become a little more polarizing. Yes, it has. I'm sure uh, a lot of people have questions, but I guess the nature of polling has changed so much than when you look at it from whenever they, when did they start doing it in the 60s, the 50s? The 40s. That's right, the 40s. During, at least during the 40s, Truman, his race for sure. Yeah. Um, probably before that. Depends when Gallup came around. Right. I, definitely the 40s. I don't know about the 30s. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I remember reading something about the 40s. How do you go about getting the data you need? How do you decide what you're polling for, what kind of groups you're looking at, you know, anything like that that can help us understand it a bit? Let's just talk about political. So political, uh, our firm will use... Um, We'll use voter lists, and and then we'll um, look at past uh, voting history. You know, let's say if, if it's a primary, um, we'll look at people who voted in the last primary primary election. And we'll call those people. It's a random sample. We'll ask them the questions, and then um, basically put out the results uh, with with analysis and cross tabs, meaning you know how did um, a certain group answer question two or answer question three. That's that's kind of a synopsis of it. Mm -hmm. So, how many people actually respond to polling that way, as opposed to people who won't do it, who refuse to to accept whatever it is the call or to be stopped or? Yeah, the, the, the refusal rate is, is huge. Mm -hmm. uh, you, know, on, you know, on a national or state poll, we like to get eight hundred uh, completes. That's a pretty low margin of error, a couple of percentage. Congressional around six hundred, you know, you know, state races. It just depends on how many people there are. You might only be able to get a couple hundred responses, but it still gives you a real good idea of what's going on. Yeah, I uh, worked in the insurance industry, and uh, what we found was that some we call the the law large numbers. So you guys might be operating on the same kind of thought process, where it's very hard to. Uh, extrapolate the data, you know, person to person. But once you put them into groups, you tend to get a much 
better idea what's happening. So like insurance companies can find out. They might not know that you necessarily will get a claim, but they know in this group that they're looking at, they're going to have this percentage. And they're usually pretty close with their averages. Yeah, exactly. Exactly what you're saying. If you poll 800 people versus 10,000, the results are going to be nearly identical. Yeah, it's very interesting how that works. Yeah, it's basically a flip of, you know, it's the more, the more times you flip a coin, the more times it will be even. But it becomes a point of, it's pretty close, you know, 800, even 10,000. So there have been, obviously the results are, are better at 10,000, but just by a little bit. Are you finding that the way things are currently situated, is it getting harder to make any kind of analysis of what's happening? Or I guess you're just taking data and kind of moving forward with that. No, I have analysis of, of polling, of what I feel the issues are. Based on polling, I've looked at where the voters are at. And just just from what I've seen, I've been doing this the last 13 years. But, yeah, I think I have a good idea of what's going on. You know, obviously, the big news in the last few weeks was that on the Republican side, you know, Trump has been winning pretty demonstrably. You know, Nikki yeah. Haley's catching, I guess you could say catching up, but it still looks like his race to take. And I guess, do you see anything that can change that for him? Like, it doesn't seem like any of these trials or anything seem to knock him off his perch, at least on the um, Republican side. Yeah, listen, you know, DeSantis was close, and then he fell apart um, probably June or July. Um and though that was, I think that was Trump's closest um, challenge. And you know, Nikki basically Nikki Haley, she basically is coming second on a shoestring budget. No one ever. Now she's got some money. Yeah. But yeah, no, no one's ever. No one ever thought she she would you know be the second place finisher. Um, you know, she doesn't have much of a chance. Uh, she never did. The, the primary race was pretty much over a long time ago. Um, Trump just just as he usually is. He's got a he's got a hundred percent name recognition. Um, people like DeSantis at first. He had a, he got a you know billion. I would say probably a billion dollars in free advertising from Rupert Murdoch. I would say pretty close to that number. And um, you know they thought he would be the nominee. He get hundred and fifty million dollars, but you know. The more we, he, people saw him in these little states and the retail politics that he did, he just wasn't able to connect. He wasn't ready for the national stage. Yeah, he seemed very uncomfortable. Um, I don't know if it was more of a messaging issue with him, personality issue, which is kind of sad to say that, but personality does play such a, a key role in these things. Yeah. And then, you know, he kind of came off like he was trying hard to have a personality and it just, it didn't work out the way it just exposed him, I guess, in some way. Yeah. From living in Florida, I always was suspicious of him nationally. Yeah. I said the same. Um, he, he had a, he had a great victory his second, his second time around, but some of some the other office holders for attorney general and CEO, they all won by about 20 points. It was just a horrible year for Democrats in 2022. 20, and really the Florida Democratic Party is probably perhaps the worst party in the, the country. And that's, that's not an exaggeration. They're trying to build up down. But 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 the first time he ran, he ran against a guy named Andrew Gilliam in 2018. And he only won by half a point. So, you know, he got it was a recount. He got very lucky. And 
you know, he focused on he's he had a super majority in the legislature, so basically everything he wanted was rubber stamped. Right. There was no there's no Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer here, so there's no opposition. Um, and he's taken on some of these culture issues, which a lot of it's he's lost in court. And um, you know, going on the national stage is just it's just different. And he was done. He he was he was he was he was simply never never tested. And he basically hired the same people that Ted Cruz hired, um, and he ran the same message as as, as Ted Cruz. He never would attack uh, Trump. He just wouldn't go there. He never. He just felt like. He would um, offend Trump voters. They would never vote for him. And he thought he was going to win. And uh, I think Ted Cruz had the same philosophy. Uh, Cruz could have won that race in 16, but they, in essence, ran the same campaign. But Cruz got a heck of a lot further than DeSantis did. But, you know, it was literally the, the same pollster, the same consultant, the same everything. It's got to be the biggest bust in 50 years, probably since Jeb Bush. That was a pretty big bust, too. Yes. Um, but yeah, two two big two big busts, and um, yeah, so it's a humiliation for DeSantis, and you know, and now you know there's this flood. If you live in Florida, the big thing here is really the homeowners insurance. Um, people's rates are tripled and quadrupled. So it used to be, you know, say your homeowners there's two thousand, now it's eight thousand. That's an awfully big difference. It's, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, that's that's basically a mortgage payment. And you know, he called in a special session. Maybe he neutralized it, but basically he said, okay, we're going to make it harder for people to sue the insurance company, you know? So in essence, in essence, he got a free ride until people realized, hey, what the heck happened here? He had an approval rating of 70% in Florida. Now it's about 45%. And, and he's a lame duck governor. You know, there's no no Senate races for him to run, run anytime soon. Uh, he's he's done in two years. The, the Republican Party is fighting within itself. Who's got you know? Who wants that control? Rubio or you know Scott? Uh, who who's going to fight to be the, the next governor? So it's just a different atmosphere. Him coming back. Do you think Disney hurt him? Didn't hurt him? Didn't really play a role? Did that have an effect on him at all or his campaign? I don't know. I mean, listen, Disney has done so much for, for Orlando, where I live. But Orlando is a, it's a it's swampland. You know, you're an hour from the beach. Yeah. It's really not a. It's not a great place. Uh, it's hard to think that it would have ever been developed if Disney didn't decide to own a privacy land. Right. Yes, I, I got I got the special some special treatment, but you know he he basically they built a city that never should have happened. Right. I agree. Uh, it would have been a it would have been a rural area. Right. I mean, who wants to live in Florida an hour from the beach? You know, this is and it just wouldn't have, it would never have developed. So yes, Disney got the special special treatment. But what they did was is they basically just opposed something that he uh, was for. They, they didn't say, "Hey, we're going to campaign against you or give money against you." They simply opposed them. It was really a weird, just a weird thing. Um, and then he so, so so he took him on. And he just very in a very um, authoritarian way, you know. Yeah, and that you know you're talking about Disney, which is you know going to be the best lawyers on the planet and the the best everything. So you're going against. You know, you're not going against like a little council or a little homeowners association or something yeah. like that. You're going against Disney. But but I think people, you know, the Republican Party is really a, a party of business, and now you're getting involved. In, yeah. Now now you want to tell them how to govern their their business, and they're not allowed to oppose you. Yeah. So it, it was, I think it was, I think it, I think a lot of people was kind of it was it was just really weird. And 
And I think on the national stage, there's some big problems in the country. He never came up with a plan. And he's a really smart guy. You know? yeah. He went to Harvard. He went to Yale. Uh, he's a brilliant guy. And um, he never came up with a plan for, say, health insurance or yeah. well, what his plan would be for taxes or, you know, so never. No, there was just no plan. It was basically running on this woke agenda. I'm going to make the United States like Florida. Yeah. I mean, people, you know, people in Iowa were like, well, you know, no, uh, it's just not going to work in New Hampshire. No, you know, so so they basically they just didn't want it. And, um, you know, you wonder what was the point of his candidacy? Well, why did he run? And I still don't know. He definitely doubled down on that. Do you think that's a problem that the other Republican candidates had? They didn't really have a, a great platform there. I mean, I don't know if it's more of a. A media thing, but you know, obviously, everybody's been running against this uh, cancel culture or woke, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if that plays as well as they think outside of the base. It's kind of like your ex girlfriend pushing your buttons, right? But in the end, it's from what I see in polling, um, and a lot of my experiences really with the Republican primary voters. I really do understand Republican primary. I understand Democratic voters, but I really do understand Republican primary voters. And they really care about immigration. Mm. And they they did solutions for immigration, you know. The wall is a done deal, you know. That's it, that will happen one way or the other. Ironically, it's you know, but but now it's it's beyond that. I think that he never really had even a full immigration plan. Um so you know, yeah, people like they, they, the voters I think would like to hear about the woke stuff. Um, because I, I do think that, that they are annoyed by some of the things that are changing, you know, some of, some of, the, some of the stuff at the universities. Uh, but in the end, it's really about the major issues. Right. And, um, you know, I, I, people, I just don't think they were going to vote for president because one guy is, you know, you know, takes on drag queens. It's just not a top issue. You right. Know? So, I mean, I'm, listen, I'm in the Northeast, so maybe it's, it's just a different opinion. But I look at things that will more likely to hurt me some trans issues stuff like that doesn't really do much to me it doesn't affect me the same way as economics and i think at the end of the day it always comes down to that i think voters no matter what on each side they're moved by uh, what do they call it like kitchen table or dinner table issues which is you know putting food on the table yeah yeah if you can make them feel secure about the economy Maybe you could look at some of these other agendas. But if people aren't secure about what's happening in their own lives, they start looking at some of the social issues and they're like, well, I'm, I'm not going to care about that because I'm suffering. I think it always comes down to that. I think it comes down to the economy all the time. You know, it's a James Carville statement. <laughs> you know, it's the economy, stupid. stupid I yeah. still. Yeah, I think it pulls 3% of Republican primary voters. Uh, you know, social issues, I think, are about 3 or 4%. And so it's just, at this point, it, it, it's a, it's an issue. Like I said, it's a button push, right? Mm -hmm. But it's not an issue that, that you're winning on, on a national right. level. And, you know, if you notice, Trump doesn't talk about those things. He talks about other things. He, well, he does talk about those things, but in a different way. They're more broad. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I just feel like... Both parties are going to put their eggs in these two different baskets, right? So I think obviously Republicans are pushing immigration, which is something that should be addressed, yeah. obviously. And there's ways to meet that, you know, obviously. And Democrats are just going to keep trying to ride, I think, abortion yeah. as much as they can, right? Um, 
which you know makes me laugh too because they did have chances to secure it. You know, one of the one of the things I didn't like after it fell was getting you know an email from like Nancy Pelosi asking for money so they could fight this, and it's like you guys were in Congress, you could have passed something for twenty thirty years. You know, it, it, it you never did because they never. I don't think I don't think they thought it was going to go away either party. I think they kind of just thought you know that's like the dog that caught its tail. In some way. Yeah, well, there, listen, on the proportion, Republicans had a great opportunity. They could have said, okay, we won a row, right? Well, let's follow the Germany model. Right. Let's you know, go, go to 18 to 20 weeks, you know, and make the Democrats extreme. Instead, the Republicans said, no, we're going to say incest. Um, you got you can't get an abortion. Miscarriage, you can't get an abortion, you know. So, so they've become the extremist on it. Yeah. So it's been a, it's been a great issue for Democrats to run on, and it will continue to be a great issue for Democrats to um, run on. And Trump's going to have a tough time running away from that because he appointed the three justices that voted for it. You know. Right. Cool over the national election. It's sure going to help with um, independent uh, women voters in, in some of these wealthier yeah. wealthier counties uh, in, in the swing states. And there's a, there's a big Supreme Court case on the abortion pill where the fight is, okay, can I, can I mail the pill from Michigan to Texas? Right. And I think there's a good, good chance the Supreme Court says, no, you can. We're going to get rid of it. I think it'll be it'll happen in June. And, you know, you'll, you'll see hell break loose if, if that happens. If that happens, yeah. It's definitely a huge uh, wedge for Republicans to try to, to override. I, I always wondered if this is going to sound silly, but in my head when I'm thinking about this, right, they, they use the weeks a lot. I'm like, do you think it would have sounded better if you say 20 weeks, you're saying four months, up to four months. Right. It just sounds like more to me as opposed to, I think, Lindsey Graham, what do you say, 15 or something? like Somebody tried to... You know, Florida is six weeks. I see... I mean, six weeks is, is nothing. That's it's, that's it's crazy. Nothing. It's, it's nothing, and you know, and so some of these states are criminalizing doctors or criminalizing women, and the, the the people don't want it. Even in red states, they say, you know, no. I mean, they're voting, they're putting these on the uh, ballots, and it's it's overwhelmingly going the other way, um, because you know, people think, hey, if someone got raped or it's incest or something of that nature, there's choice, and people are worried. Hey, is the next step contraception? Many people think that's the that's the next um, contraception, whether you know that could be regulated in the states, right? You know, so there's good issues for the Democrats, and as you said, immigration is a great issue for the Republicans. The, the Democrats are basically, uh, you, you could really say that the open borders party for a long time, and now it's just out of hand. Biden's yeah, but you know, I always read that Obama they used to call him like the deporter in chief. That he was deporting like more immigrants than you know, I guess before Trump, obviously, but than anybody before him. Yeah, because some people said that he was big plan was going after you know gang members and felons, but I, I just think so many people were coming in, so his numbers look higher because um, they're going to catch you know say forty, fifty percent. But now these people come in and there's everyone's saying asylum, 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 and then they get they get out and they disappear forever. Well, I also read a statistic that's interesting, and maybe you know if it's true or not, but that um, when the economy's not doing so well, you're going to get less people flow, uh, flowing over the border because there's just not as many job opportunities here. I don't know how I, I've yet to double check that. I've always meant to. It makes yeah, sense. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, when yeah. he took over Obama, you know, it was when the Great Recession started. So, 
there was a few lean years there, at least. Yeah. And immigration has also changed. Listen, it's not people from Mexico really coming over anymore. It's it's pe- people from you know Central America, Nicaragua and El Salvador. They're, they're catching tens of thousands of Chinese on the border. So for every person they, ca- they catch, well, how many really get in, you know? And um, so the Senate wants to do a plan, but it's really not in Trump's interest. And the House is, in essence, trying to kill it. So it's just kind of weird. So it's just kind of a weird. They really they I have know, a deal that's... of a lifetime right now where they really they have Democrats on their heels. And Biden gets elected. He's, he'll never give that deal again. So it's almost like if you care about the border, you could have you could have almost everything you want. And they're not they're probably not going to take it. I know, but that's it's so sad when you hear that because then you're talking about not doing what's best for the country at this point. Yeah, you know. So w- what's happening is the Senate's prepared to do it, like you said. Mike Johnson is refusing to even bring it up. They're yelling about it day and night that this is a crisis. You know, obviously you see what's happening in Texas and opposing. You know, federal. I think they oppose the Supreme Court technically in a sense because didn't the Supreme Court. Well, what, say the state has the right to go and whatever it was. was brilliant. Listen, they said, hey, we're going to bust people into Chicago and New York. And, you know, imagine New York can't handle it, but you expect some tiny town in Texas to handle all these people. Mm-hmm. And that really has changed the narrative on it. Because now if New York is, you know, the mayor of New York is going out of his mind because he can't handle all these people. But you expect all these states in the West to handle it. And it really, I think, changed the um, kind of changed the narrative on that. Well, it's not my favorite action taken when looking at the human element, but the conversation's definitely public a lot more, I guess, since that time. But, um, you know, they're going to complain every day about the border, and then we have a chance to fix it, and they don't fix it. I mean, optically, I don't see how that's... You You have a deal of a lifetime if you take it right now. But on the other hand, maybe it'll help Biden with the reelection. So let's not take it. Let's gamble. We get our guy in. And we can do better. Take the deal, you know. Take the deal and and um, go from there. But I, apparently they're not going to do it. Yeah. You know, obviously Mitt Romney's come out against it and a couple of others. But, I, yeah, I don't see anything. Yeah, the, the, Senate is still, the Senate is still reasonable for now. Right. But the House, he was only really have one or two votes and he's gone. And, you know, they could just throw him out. So he almost can do nothing. So they're just, in essence, paralyzed. The really government is paralyzed right now. Right. And, you know, politically, so I thought, actually, McCarthy probably got a lot more than I thought he would have, as far as the deals he was making. I mean, I don't know what your opinion is on it. But I thought he, you know, he did, he got the most he could do, he could get. And then, you know, they booted him. Honestly, I thought the Democrats should have saved them. Because, you're now you're dealing you knew you were going to get somebody who's going to be more opposed to what you want and the other thing is you're you already made a deal with this guy like you've already done things with this one guy it's better to know you it's better to know your emperor yeah and who who might who might come next exactly you know now you have a, even more paralysis i think they passed the least amount of laws last year than they did in however long well i think you, you could have sat down with mccarthy i i you know johnson is um well, he's got he's very he, he's speaker of the house but in essence he doesn't have much power right uh you know, mccarthy quit actually so that seat's gone so they only have like two votes so in, in essence the the, the most and, and you know nessie pelosi had the same problem 
but she she held her coalition together. Right. Uh, it's it's the opposite here. So, you know, it'll be interesting when some of these moves come up. Like, how does Johnson stay in power when they have to open the government or close it? And that's coming in, you know, soon, you know, in the summer. And, then, you know, so these events might help Biden. It's weird stuff that could happen that, um, that you know, the issues that we went to talk about today could reflect on, on the election. Well, that's it. You don't. You know, it changed. Well, we were talking about it before we started recording, right? <laughs> when am we going to let, when am I going to put this out? Well, in this type of uh, atmosphere, things just happen daily and things change daily. We have no clue what's going to, what it's going to look like in about six months, you know, to a year or whatever, whenever the, the, the election's coming up in yes. nine months or something. In nine months. Yeah. Nine, nine months. I mean, there's so much that could play out at this point. And, for heaven's sakes, Trump is going to go on trial, you know? Yeah, well, that's that interesting, that, too. How does that transpire? I don't think he'll be sentenced. I do think he might be sentenced to jail, possibly. But I don't think in the time frame of the election. Right. But it's, it's, but it is, there is a possibility that, a good possibility, actually, that, that, that he'll go to court and, you know, there'll be a conviction. And it doesn't, doesn't matter to independence that the guy is a felon or there's a sympathy, you know, there's a sympathy. Um, because it's possible there too, you know, you're picking on them and then, you know, but you some of these court cases, like for instance, the, uh, you know, there's the court case where they're going after his businesses. Um, never before have they broken up a business that, um, where there's no victim. Yeah. I didn't love the New York case, uh, mostly from the perspective of being a voter. What I mean is he's going to come out pretty much unscathed politically while Georgia, I think you can actually understand and see the wrongdoings more clearly. But I can see how to the average person who's not politically savvy, um, it looks like they're just throwing everything they can at him, whether that's true or not. So I never loved that case. The Georgia case was the one I was interested in from the start. I think so. But, but, you know, but then she goes and pays her boyfriend $700,000. She's got the case of a lifetime. And she hires a guy who's not qualified to be the assistant and gives him $700,000. So, so it's just politics is just a weird thing. I don't understand how that happens, though. Like, I, I really don't understand how Fannie Willis lets that happen. I mean, she's a lawyer. She should understand that what she's doing is going to be jeopardizing the biggest case of her career and has a lot of implications nationally. So I don't know. With this, maybe it's politicians or people in these these positions of power. You know, I've read this before. There's just the self awareness is lacking. It's just irrational. Well, remember back in 2000, George W. Bush. One of the big reasons he won um, was you know things. The economy was great. Things were going pretty smooth. You know, one of the big reasons he won was people would rather have a beer with him versus Gore. You know. Um, and, and, um, so it, it, best people always don't run and win. You know, the smartest people don't always run. It's, it's, it's a, a lot of it is personality and, um, you know, it's, it's being a salesman and, you know, you don't have your professors and doctor, most part, the smartest lawyers and the smartest scientists that run for president or governors, you know, it's, it's, it's people that are connected and good salesmen and good, you know, they, they're good extrovert, extroverted people. Yeah. You know? I say that a lot. Like the people running society should probably be uh, 
the introverts who are just with high IQs and, you know, can talk to people who speak on their level or whatever, you know, and uh, you would think it would be, uh, you know, like statisticians who can take or, or extrapolate data and information uh, people who have like a broader view of things, somebody who looks at something like 10,000 feet above, but obviously it's, it's not like that. It's more like a personality thing, you know, a personality contest, you know, well, it's think obvious. About this. It's Congress or Senate, what percentage of people would you say are in Mensa? I, 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 I don't know, just a few, but, but it's very low. I think the general population has more, more people in Mensa. I would agree. Which is a genius than, than, than our Congress and the Senate, which it should be the opposite. And part of it is the job doesn't pay very well. So if you're not a wealthy person to begin with, and you know, you, 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 you get there, um, and you have all these expenses and you have to go to all these dinners and there's all these rules. Uh, and if you're not an uber rich person, how do you, how do you afford the lifestyle? So then you, you, you become buddies with the lobbyists and yeah, that, that's, 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 that's what happened. You, you look at someone like Clarence Thomas, where he, you know, he gets beat on in the press. Like, okay, whatever, you know, uh, but he's been there since 88 because he was pretty young. I think it's forties. Right. Yeah. So he, he hasn't made much money. I mean, he's made good money, but he hasn't made like millionaire money, you know, uh, money that he would make at a law firm. If he just resigned as a Supreme court justice and worked at, worked to, to, top law firms, which he would make millions and millions of dollars a year. So he never got rich, but yet you're around rich people and you have to act rich. So you're the elite, but you're not rich. And so that's one problem. They don't, they don't, they don't, they don't pay. They don't pay a good salary. Yeah. So it's, it's almost like you're telling people to be influenced that are regular people. And the people are also scared to run, you know, they, they make a mistake in their lives and it's a, um, you know, it used to it used to be you know the media would report on something, and then you look at Gary Hart. That was when it all changed. When he, uh, I don't know if you remember, he uh, yeah, he said to the media, "I'm not having an affair. I guarantee you, chase me or something of that nature." Yeah. and they chased him, and they they caught him, and they reported on it. But they covered up with Kennedy and Johnson for every for everything. Why? Because it was no one's business, you know. But every everything changed, and now social media. You really can't do anything, and it's stuff is portrayed and mistakes you made thirty years ago. Yeah, you know, when society was different, now you're a racist or you're this phobe or that phobe. Um, where when society was different, and, and stuff isn't put into perspective. It's also you just know? you, you know, things that are said thirty years ago, and then having the perspective of time. Right, you know, and and understanding and stuff. You, you do people can change in that sense, right? Of you know, course, people. I mean, people are men of their time. I mean, when people go after the founders, I mean, uh, the way I look at it is that they were ahead. They were more progressive than their contemporaries. Then you know, they're okay. You can't expect people to be like you four hundred years ago, three hundred years ago, two hundred years ago. Because people are of their time. They're they're of yeah. their you know, of, of where they live, of how they grew up. So if you're not, if you're ahead of your time, you probably have done good in life, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I've had, I've actually had a few conversations about this with my buddy who has another podcast. Shout out to Smith and story of podcast. And he's a, a history teacher. And it's one of my favorite episodes I ever did because we just chatted about how we kind of 
make myths or villains of, of well, the founders, but historical people in general, you know, in the U.S. But we, as far as, you know, you go back to the founders and stuff, I think it's important to recognize, you could recognize that there was probably shitty things that they did, but you could also still recognize what, what was accomplished. You know, like hero, me, to me, it's all myth making, right? The, there's nuance to everybody. Obviously, but you know, it's case by case too. Obviously, there's things that are probably unforgivable, <laughs> you know, like, but you have to know what that, I don't know. You can't just lump it all together. I think people try to lump everything together, you know? Yeah, you can't rewrite, also can't rewrite history. Yeah. You know, the, Ger- the Germans do it well. If you've been to Germany, they have ber- just phenomenal museums where they tell their story, they admit their guilt, they talk about their sins, and there's blocks and blocks of museums. Um, it's just something that we, would never happen in the United States. I always wonder if that's what we needed to do. It's just like, well, I mean, I think, I think there's still just, we're also a huge country. You know, Europe's very different. Very different. You go a thousand miles, you're, you're in another country. country. Yeah. So you know, comparing their governments and our governments, it's good to look at. It's good to try to take things from if it's working. Doesn't mean it necessarily translates. It's just very different. I mean, when you look at our founding, where we call everything, you know, everybody, New Jersey's a state, Florida's a state. You know, they were states in Europe or countries. And that's how it kind of started here. Yeah, we were just yeah. like a loose affiliation under the Articles of Confederation, uh, where we're basically just protecting each other. And it just we made so we obviously you know changed everything with the Constitution, and and we're, but we're huge, so it's very hard in such a diverse land with so many people to figure out what works for for everybody. Well, the president was never supposed to be so presidency was never supposed to be that's true so powerful and i think after world war ii and after the nuclear weapon after nuclear um nuclear weapons um the presidency became so much more powerful right um where they're just able to do stuff unilaterally where congress has become impotent um since probably since since roosevelt where congress has just become impotent and um the president, I mean, the president really does what the president wants to do. He wants to bomb the country, bombs the country. It was never like that previously. You know, you would get, they'd have debates and Congress was strong. And so they're, they're much weaker than they used to be. And I would say nuclear weapons has everything to do with it, you know. Yeah, too. You know, having Russia have nuclear weapons, it gave him, you know, having the boogeyman, it gave the president some even more power, right? Right. Like, I mean, maybe that's what you're talking about is having all the nukes out there and the- no, well, well, nukes is well, the nukes is a now thing, right? You can't uh, you can't wait for weeks and weeks of debate. Just for instance, you had you had uh, three of our soldiers were killed in by Iran, you know, right. and Biden's going to respond. He's not going to go to Congress. So, you know, a hundred years ago, they would have debated this stuff. We would have went to Congress. Or like he's bombing Yemen. Yeah, people don't even know about it. You know, rightfully so, by the way. But it's it's not something that Congress has approved, or he's really as he technically the authority to do. Um, but but you know, it's all changed. The president is much more powerful than I think the founders wanted. I agree a hundred percent with that. When you when you look at uh, uh, what the if you read what the founders talked about, um, and I'm not saying. 
we have to listen to everything they said. You know, it's 250 years yeah, or whatever. Course, Obviously, things change. But the way the documents set up was, well, now it's so hard to get a constitutional amendment because of how big we are. But back then, you had uh, 13 states. Yeah. And, you know, getting... But they still want a chaos, though. They want a chaos. Supermajorities and all these branches of government and, you know, different... Um, so, I, you know, I, I, th- I think they wanted where it wasn't easy to pass stuff. You know, it wasn't, you know, in London or the UK, if the labor gains power in a couple of years, they can just dramatically change things. They just vote, 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 vote. Right. Here, you got to get, you know, 60 votes in the Senate. You got to have the House, the other presidency, you know. So they, they made, I think they make it, they, they, they purposely wanted to make it harder. I think the odd thing that they never did was Jefferson and um, what's his name? Adams. They lived a long time, right? Right. So people did live a long time back then. They never thought, hey, we should put an age for like Supreme Court justices or presidents. Um, and they never they never thought about that. Um, well, so, I, yeah, my only thing with with that, you know, and I've read, obviously, it's interesting because a lot of people think about Adams and Jefferson who would be founding fathers. But when it comes to the Constitution, it's really uh, I look at, you know, obviously Madison is the big, big one. Adams, who actually wrote a lot of state constitutions, would have been overpowering there, but he was away in uh, in England, I think, at the time. Yeah, England. Um, and Jefferson's in France. And I know when Madison used to write to Jefferson, Jefferson made that comment, every 20 years we should tear up the Constitution and then – you know, like have a constitutional convention every 19 years. So you're basically not taking the last generation's uh, rights and infringing on the newer generation, which in theory sounds sounds pretty good. Sounds like a good idea. But I know Madison was like, are you nuts? You know, basically, like, do you know how hard it was to get this done? Like you weren't there. And, um, and also the Supreme Court probably – I don't think they knew what it was. You know, it wasn't really anything until what, like uh, Marbury versus Madison or, or whatever. Yeah, that's what that's gave true. them gave them the power they had. They had no. They took the power. Yeah, yeah, they took the power. The president, presidents let them have the power. You know, but you know, Washington lived to an old age, so they they so you could have thought it was reasonable that a guy would could be eighty and be president. But they never bothered. They never said, "Okay, we're going to cap it as a seventy or something like that." I think that a lot. Yeah, I think that's that's a big issue, <laughs> especially now. You know, it's funny. I did read a poll about this a few months ago, where they were talking about even with Pelosi and Trump and Biden. More of the issue people have is that Biden looks old, right? And you're talking about personality and how someone looks. More of the issue is Biden for voters is Biden appears old. Yeah. You know, um, I don't know if you see that, but. It's called 60. I did by at 80, but. I no, I, listen, saying. in the scope of what I've seen other people his age doing, it's pretty spectacular what he can accomplish. Um, you don't see many 80 year olds as CEO of companies, you know, being appointed as CEO of companies. So it, it is very, it is, it is very strange. But, but listen, our country's old. Has gotten older. The average, the average, I think, primary voter in Iowa was sixty-seven years old. Yeah, you know, and 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 that's part of the reason why this is disagreements in this country where it wasn't, you know, because all the people are kind of set. You know, inflation didn't affect them as much. They have their house, their interest yeah. rate, 
they have health insurance, they have Medicare, they got Social Security. So their problem is much different than somebody in their 30s or 20s. It just is. Yeah. Uh, and yet they have the power, right? All, all the people have the power because they vote in mass, you know, 70, 80 percent of them. Um, and so the what do the politicians do? Well, when the politicians are older, but besides that, they cater to older people because those are the right. people that vote for them. So they cater to the, the issues, right? And, um, you know, I mean, so, uh, you know, if you're 70, why do you care if someone, right. you, if me or you have health insurance? You got, you, yeah, you're you already up, have right? it. You got a pretty pretty good deal. Yeah. You know, obviously some people care about their grandchildren, but I'm just saying in general, it, it's, it's it, it, inflation, you know, didn't hit. If you already own a house and you're at two percent interest rate, you own your car. You, you know, yeah, you've got some prices in in um, food and all that. And of course, not everybody owns a house. Not everybody's rich. But I'm just saying, for the most part, older older people really they're not they're not they, they've done very well even in this economy. Um, yeah, in the last ten years, very well. Stock markets, stock markets are record high. I mean, unemployment. Uh, well, that that is something I wanted to bring up because. I did see, obviously, I think the newer polls are showing that there's actually some kind of uh, rise in, in consumer confidence in the economy, but it's still rather low. When you look at the track record, Biden has a better run right now than Trump had pre-COVID. But a lot of people, when they're polled, uh -huh. think that Trump had the better economy. Like The perception is there. I feel like Democrats are terrible at messaging anyway, but why can't they hit that note like why can't they push that forward with with voters is it just inflation or is it just optics i, I don't know look biden's got as low as they say is that his approval numbers are as low as jimmy carter's were i don't know you know but it depends other polls say that he said 45 some say he said 40 but he's they got inflation under control unemployment's at just record lows right. I mean, it basically doesn't even exist at this point it's almost 100%. Uh, the job is full, you know. Um, the stock market, the stock market is at record highs, and his numbers still suck. So suppose something happened, Biden, what would he do? You know, as far as running, so he needs to craft the message for the future himself, and come up with a plan to beat Trump. Um, so I think it'll it'll be an interesting. I think it'll be an interesting. I think it'll be an interesting time. I think Biden still will have the power of the White House, and I think his numbers will improve. But I think at this point, it's a 50-50. It's a 50-50 it's, it's thing. And these five, six states, it's only, it's only, <laughs> it's only matters. In Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Georgia, and um, Arizona. And maybe North, North it still Carolina. drives me when you're talking about the Constitution. The whole Electoral College just always drove me nuts. And I know that, the, speaking of the founders, they thought that would be gone within like 20, 30 years. It was, you know, I think I read somewhere Madison was saying that. He's like, it was hot. It was like the hottest summer on record at that point in, in Philadelphia when they had the convention. And yeah, it's just kind of a weird box that they put together. And I know, like, I always hear the argument. My father would argue with me as well. All you would have to do is, you know, New York and California, and then you can win the election or whatever. And I'm like, well, but now it's just five or six states that run the whole thing it's all it's just a bunch of swing states this rural america is over has way more power than say their votes just, you know the senator from montana has the same amount of Correct. power as a senator from california or new york very odd that's a little bit odd right so the, the power is really with the little states and with the um rural america you know they still 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 
still has the power in this country, not the not the not the metropolitans, cities, just the way the way the system is um was built. It's not built on the majority, you know. In the Supreme Court, you know, basically was all the justices appointed. Bush didn't get a um no majority in his first term. He had a, um, Trump, Trump Trump lost a national vote to Hillary. Yet he got put three justices on there. Uh, Bush put third two. That's yep. that's 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 five, right? So yeah. yeah, it's it's insane. I've thought of that before, which is like is wild to me. Yeah, and that obviously had an effect on the Supreme Court. So there's been such real world examples to the system which don't favor the majority. The the small states having the power, but you know it's interesting. I don't know when it comes to the national election. It's going to be interesting to see with Trump how he could play with these independents. I don't know if, if this is going to, uh, all the stuff going on affects him, if his last term really affects him. People are tired of the whole whatever. Well, the Democrats are get 52% of the vote and still lose. Yeah. They have to win a pretty good percentage of the national vote in order to win the presidency. Uh, that's that, that's kind of tough, you know. And listen, Biden got a, Biden had some breaks last time, man. He had COVID. He was able to really have a mask on, be in his basement, you know. They were hey, yeah. He didn't have to campaign. That's true. He didn't really have to campaign as hard. Now, you know, you have you got to go against Trump with these rallies and you know the momentum. But you know, Biden will push out Clinton and Obama, and will will you know get you know the musicians and we'll pull out the events. That's true. And um, and pull up a maybe you know put maybe you'll get a Taylor Swift or they'll pull out enormous crowds, enormous crowds. So it will it will even out. And I think that the key is they come out up with plans. The problem is we haven't been fighting about policy for a while. No, I agree. That's the big thing. So Trump said he's gonna he's going to um, get rid of Obamacare, which is pretty popular. I think Biden should, should hold his feet to the uh, buyer, saying, "Well, what's your plan? What's your plan? Yeah." Uh, and that that will be a problem because there is no plan. Okay, and then the other plan is tax cuts. Well, how much lower can you go for corporations? They're at fifteen, um, lowest in the world, basically. So much lower can you go for them? Really, what needs to happen is entitlement reform and stuff like that. Not, no one's messing with Social Security and Medicare, so no, there's really not much to be done. You know? No, I, I agree with you. I, I, it'd be refreshing to talk about policy again. It just it would be nice if if we got to that point again. But yeah, there's really no plan. Maybe the Democrats have a little bit more of a plan. I don't know. But I, I don't really know what their plan is either. You know, they haven't come out with any policy in a while either. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're so, they've always had trouble with messaging. It always feels like the idea would be, you know, well, we're better than the alternative. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, they're obviously, like you said, we were talking about abortion is going to be the big one. But I just, they, they, they're just not good at like hitting home with the, some of the stuff we're fighting back, like like some of the other guys are on the other team. I guess. Well, their voters aren't as loyal. There's a far left that's not as loyal to the party. The Republicans are able to really hold together. That's true. I say that a lot. There's that talk about that, right? So the Democrats have a lot of different, a big tent. There's a lot of different factions. There's so many different factions. Republicans are a little better with being a little more together. You know, you do have the Christian conservative and then you have business, obviously, yeah, absolutely. people. But more or less, you know, I, the, the Democrats feel like they could be like four or five parties sometimes to me. But they're just all, you know, there's a very big difference between somebody like Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden um, or Nancy Pelosi and AOC. And 
Yeah, it's it's, it's, not, it's night and day. And eventually, that's going to come to a head because you, you've seen that with Israel and there's some other issues. And eventually, eventually there's going to be a crack there um, in the next generation. I do see that because I see the young voters. So uh, I have an 18-year-old. Uh, so he, Oh, he's not 18 yet, but he will be when the election comes, and it, which blows my mind. Uh-huh. And, you know, he's not he's not a Trump guy. And he's 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 smart about all this stuff, but he you know, he doesn't like the, the whole Israel Palestine thing and I've just seen a lot more younger voters asking a little bit more. They're a little more defiant to Biden. And it's not the lesser or two evils for them. So I do wonder, are we gonna see a lot more younger voters? How's that gonna play out? I mean, I don't think they're gonna go to the other side, but they they might vote third party. Uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi thinks a lot of this is funded by by the Russians. Oh, I saw that yesterday. Uh, Chinese and Russians, yes. And I'll tell you something. When the history is written on all this, I would not be surprised that there was some foreign interference. It was just all these protests, you know. It all popped up so simple. It was just. It just seemed like it was so coordinated. And I, I don't think so. I think that there, there was there was some interference that went on. And I think um, there's there's much more to this. Yeah, that meets the eye, you know? Yeah. And I don't think Pelosi pulled out of her ass. I think she knows something, you know? Yeah, which is funny because she's a very, she's very calculated, you know, like as far as, right. I, I know what her age is, but she's, you know, pretty smart for uh, for what she does. She's she's a good politician. Oh, yeah, she's an elderly man. But she heard something on a committee or, or, or intelligence, and she, she, she basically, yeah. you know, she knows something, you know? Well... Listen, why don't you plug yourself? Uh, I'd love to have you back as as things unfold. Yeah, anytime you want. I'm, I'm available, so maybe in the summer. Doug Kaplan, Kaplan Strategies, and the best place to find me is on LinkedIn. Search Doug Kaplan, and I'm there. All right, great. Yeah, thank you again. Thank you for having me. It was a great interview, okay? Yeah, you too. And uh, yeah, we'll talk. Take care, Jay. All right, Bye-bye. take it easy. Thanks to everyone who took some time out of their day today to listen. The With Jayberg Show is available wherever you find your favorite podcast or go directly to jaybergshow.podbean.com and subscribe to get the latest episodes. I know it may not always be a straight line, but I hope we'll see you again to take the journey and escape a while for thoughtful excursions into the world of ideas across politics, technology, pop culture, and all realms of civic life. See you soon. support.